Four seconds left. Game tied at 75. Enright races up the floor, passes over to Atten from half court for the win. Oh! Oh! He made, he made it. it. Bulldogs win. Bulldogs win. Oh, my God. Can you believe it? That was Atten Wright's game-winning buzzer beater against Evansville, as heard live on the imaginary Drake Basketball Podcast Radio Network. Eduardo, the past few days have been all about Indiana State losing, Drake eviscerating Murray State, and pulling into a tie for first place. But none of that happens without what will forever be known as the Atten Wright game at the Ford Center in Evansville. What a crazy contest. Yeah, I mean, talk about... A game, you know, if Drake goes on to claim a share of the regular season title, I mean, this is the game, right? Adden Wright was spectacular in the second half, just completely taking over, hitting timely bucket after timely bucket. And then after Drake blows a six-point lead with 25 seconds left, Adden Wright hits a runner buzzer beater from the logo to propel the Bulldogs to a three-point win on the road. Yeah, if you didn't have the chance to tune in for this one, it looked like Drake had it in the bag. Drake led 75-69 with less than 20 seconds remaining, but then Tanner Cuff hit a long contested three for the Aces. Drake turned the ball over against the press, and Ben Humacris hit a very, very deep three that was contested pretty perfectly by Nate Ferguson, and that led to a tie ball game with... Four seconds left. Connor took it up court, kicked it over to Atten, and as you heard on that very real radio replay, banked it in, and it was incredible. So where did we settle on Ben's last name's pronunciation? Because <laughs> um, this is very important for Evansville fans that listen to the podcast. It is. I know there are a lot of aces tuned in out there. I'm going Hummacris. Okay, okay. Shout out to Nate Erickson. He gave us the correct pronunciation on Twitter. Uh, unfortunately, I then promptly forgot it. I think it's Hummacris. Hummacris. Got it. Um, yeah. So, we, I mean, we have to clear that up. You know, we, we're very journalistic, serious entity over here. Uh, we, got, we got to the bottom of it. Uh, but, yeah, Evansville, as we talked about, came out and played a much better game than they did back in Des Moines. Pretty close, tight game most of the way couple things that stood out i mean the three-point shooting all last week for drake was outstanding you know drake on the season hits a little under nine threes a game they hit 13 threes against evansville and we'll talk about the murray state game where they hit 17 threes so in a day in a game where they didn't have a great flow a brody you know struggled at times they did a really good job of hitting their threes i mean that was kind of the thing that that kind of gave them a bump and and that lead. But yeah, I mean, I don't even want to think about what that overtime would have looked like if Adam misses that shot, because I think Evansville would have had all the momentum. Uh, but it proved to be a huge win for Drake because Indiana State had just lost to Illinois State. So that got Drake within one, uh, which was then key because now they're tied for first place in the Valley. Yeah, it's crazy the extent that Atten carried the Bulldogs in the second half of that game because he finished the game with 26 points, but he scored 21 of those in the second half. Mm -hmm. It seemed like every time we were struggling to sort of find that offensive flow, Atten was just doing work from deep. He was driving guys into the lane, hitting little pull-ups, taking it all the way to the hoop. Yeah, he did a little bit of everything in this one. 
I thought we did a good job of getting his rhythm going with just some pretty basic down screens and and he just was doing a great job going downhill, getting a step on guys. And then once he got in that flow, he hit some really tough jumpers of just generating a little bit of separation with a jab step, then pulling up. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely do not win this game without adding having 21 huge points. And and really, it was the three headed monster that carried Drake. I mean, Tucker didn't have, you know, his best shooting performance, but still managed to put up 17, 10 and four. Overton, 15 points, four rebounds. So it was really adding Tucker and Overton carrying the load. We talked about the Brody factor going into the game. What did you see from what Evansville was doing that was a very different outcome than what they did against Brody and Des Moines? Yeah, so we talked before this game about how we didn't think the Aces would be able to double down on Brody just because we're so good at moving the ball, uh, hitting shooters when kicking out. But I think they proved us wrong because they did send some hard doubles at Brody from the backside. And it just seemed like we weren't as aware of them as we needed to be. Like they caught Brody by surprise a few times, not necessarily strong enough with the ball. And for me, this was one of Darnell's worst games in a while. Yeah, I think he ended up with four turnovers on the night. I think one thing that I noticed that was a little bit different with the doubles is where Brody, where Brody was catching the ball, right? So... In Des Moines, he was getting really deep into the post and then pass comes in. And by the time they collapse on him, you know, he's already in for a layup, right? Or in for an easy kickout. But they did a good job of kind of forcing him a little bit outside the paint. So when he catches that, that double uh, can be a lot more aggressive and he doesn't have enough room to operate. So we didn't do a good job of reading that throughout the night. You know, he was a little bit flustered and, and like I said, turning the ball over. And that, I mean, that was a huge difference maker from game one versus game game two at Evansville. Yeah. And so like you said, he finished with four turnovers, six points in just 25 minutes of play. And to me, Darnell sort of looked the way that I felt like a lot of the team was playing in that they just looked kind of worn out for a lot of this one. It was the end of a long road trip in a nearly empty arena against a team who they had beaten by 50 the first time around and who was shooting really well, even on contested shots this time. So I think it was just it was a tough one mentally because Evansville, to their credit, played very tough. Uh, they had their best player back. They refused to go anywhere when Drake tried to go on runs. But fortunately, ultimately, uh, Superman Adden came to the rescue, put the team on his back and said, no, we are not picking up an L here. And that's the reason we're tied for first right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you feel about running into them in the MVC tournament. They're they're very balanced. I like that about their team. They don't seem to take a lot of dumb shots and, and they got a lot of decent size at the guard forward position. So it always seems like they can kind of shoot over you a little bit. Uh, And when you go through the box score, I mean, they ended up having five guys in double figures, as you said, led Mm -hmm. by Ben Humbricus, 18 points on just six of seven shooting. I mean, talk about efficiency. Like, they just don't force a lot. And when you go through the box score, yeah, 50% from the field, eight of 18 from three, nine of 13 from the line. I mean, 
they kind of did everything they needed to do to put themselves in a position to win the game. Uh, and they came pretty close. I think it was just in a game that was pretty tight. The the difference really was Adam just going on a tear in the second half and, and propelling Drake for the win. I will say this. If we match up with Evansville for a third time in St. Louis, I think the guard experiment guarding Ben Hummacris was a failure. We tried alternating <laughs> Connor, Colby, and Kyron on him throughout the game presumably trying to do what we did against uh, Nevada, where we put the smaller but quicker Connor Enright on 6'6", Keenan Blackshear, and just frustrated the hell out of him. But that did not work on Ben Hamakris. He's 6'9". He went 6 for 7 from the floor, 4 for 4 from the stripe, and seemingly had an answer every time we made a run. I mean, I know, obviously, Coach DeVries knows more about basketball that I can ever hope to come close to comprehending, but... You know what I'm going to say. I want to see KO get a chance to take on Hummacris for an extended stretch. I know. It's, you know, the breeze is proving us wrong in the sense that Overton has played really well offensively the past couple of weeks. And I think that's probably what he can point to and say, see, you know, this is why we're not, <laughs> why we're not giving him always the toughest defensive assignment. Sometimes we do, but I think it's really more about, you know, which matchup we feel is the one that Kevin can help us the most and not necessarily the toughest for the night, if that makes sense. And I think the difference with the Nevada game is Hamarcus, he just wasn't, he wasn't getting flustered. You know what I mean? So like I said, he wasn't forcing it. If it wasn't there, he can clearly see over our guards and just kick out to mm-hmm. the open guy or, or, or make the next play. So he, we just didn't get him rattled, which we were effective at doing against Nevada. And, and that was kind of the difference. But it was worth a shot. I will say that. I mean, I guess if you're trying to experiment different things, if you're thinking, hey, maybe we'll see Evansville a third time. But I'm with you. I think we overthought it a little bit. I think Kevin Overton is the right matchup and and the way to go. And what did you think, you know, since we're breaking down we haven't really talked about the end of the game because uh, we're obviously on the Adam Wright high of hitting that logo. Down six, we allow a three, then we travel up the inbound, and then <laughs> we allow another three. Would you have fouled there? Because I know, I mean, I, that's a very easy question to pose. What are your thoughts? There are about, if I remember correctly, about 12 seconds left when Evansville inbounded that ball down three. I think I probably would have, but I know that Coach DeVries is a strong believer in not fouling and playing out defense. I'm so tired of guys making slop threes against us to tie it after Bowen Bourne did it two or three times in a row in that game at the Knapp Center and seeing Hummerkus do it this time. It just seems like those shots rarely don't drop when they're throwing them up against us. The funny part about it is like we've been burned by this multiple times now. But somehow we still managed to win the game. So I feel like that empowers the breeze to be like, see, this tactic works. <laughs> but well, and I, to what he would point to is the best they can do there for the most part is tie it up. You know, right. Who's to say they don't knock down a free throw, get the rebound then kick it out and hit a three off that and take away the win. And that doesn't get the chance to make the half court shot. So my stance on the fouling when you're up three is completely it has to be time it has to be who you're playing i don't think you can have a set rule 
Uh, that's how I look at it. So to me, no, it, 12 de- seconds, it definitely depends on like opponent and time left, yeah. which 12 is right in that sort of like median area. I right. usually probably say like seven and under maybe if I was going to try yeah. to make a rule. That's fair. I, I was going to say to me, 12 is too much time, especially because they have some good free throw shooters on their team. So to me, 12 is like, all right, say you foul at 10, they make both, you know, you're now you're up one say you miss one now you're giving them like eight seconds you know for a two-point basket so i get the rationale i thought it was too much time of course when they nail the three then you kind of look like an idiot of of defending that but then (laughs) hey we won the game we won the game (laughs) that's all that matters also just because we haven't called him out yet colby garland he went two for three from deep eight points in just 17 minutes of play he also racked up two rebounds, two assists, and two steals, which is highly impactful line for just 17 minutes. Yeah, definitely looked a lot more comfortable than he did against Bradley. It felt like the Bradley game was very much so, all right, Colby, get your conditioning back. Hey, run around and stop Duke Dean down the stretch, which he did. This game, he felt a lot more aggressive and kind of in a better flow of his offensive game. So good to see him kind of get his legs back a little bit and he was really the only impactful player from a scoring standpoint off the bench for drake yeah i I took a note on my phone 12 22 in the game down five garland logo three and i remember that because it was really important at the time because they had just gotten their first bit of space away from us and colby who's not known as a three-point shooter comes and knocks that down with seemingly no problem he looked very confident on his release Shout out to him, because that's huge for a freshman to be able to knock down that kind of a shot on the road in a conference race. Yeah, the more the season goes on, the more I've been impressed with Colby. Uh, from a defensive standpoint, we've talked about him so much. I mean, he he's a game changer, just a complete pest, can really turn the game on its head. And then offensively, you just see it throughout the year. He just keeps getting more and more confident. He is quick. He can go go in and, and create his own shot a little bit. But he really has a nice mid-range game, which I feel like is a little bit underrated. You know, he kind of likes going to that 18-footer. Reminds us all of uh, Roman's uh, old mid-range game. But it's good to see because that's something that uh, maybe Drake doesn't see too much in its current offense. Yeah, that pull-up jumper he has, he's deadly with it. It's funny because, I mean, he's a, he's a smaller guy, but his arm, he's got, I don't know what his wingspan is. But it seems to me like he has really long arms, and so he gets to a lot of balls and has a release point that is further out of reach than you might expect for someone who's only six foot, if that's what Colby is. Yeah, it it feels like you're putting in a request to the Drake SID office for an official wingspan length on uh, Colby Garland. Would be interested to know. I mean, you know, I don't want to call out the sports information department, but... The fact that we don't have this listed next to Colby's name is a travesty. We should have height, weight, wingspan in that order. Uh, (laughs) And favorite episode of the Drake Basketball Podcast. (laughs) But yeah, so that was the story of Evansville. Ready to move on to Murray State? Yeah, let's do it. So Bulldogs won 95-72. And games like this one are fun to watch but kind of boring to discuss because there's only so many ways to say, wow, Drake really destroyed the racers. With that being said, I'll let you go ahead and give it your best shot. I will do my best attempt at pointing out a statistic that should 
really catch your attention. Murray State is a team that takes care of the ball really well. Best team in the conference at not turning the ball over. Uh, I believe they're top 10 nationally in turnovers. So Drake forced the Racers into 11 turnovers. You're okay, you know, three above their season average is not that crazy. They forced 26 points off turnovers. I want our, our listeners to understand how crazy that is because it basically means that every single turnover was turned into either a two or a three. Um, so that was outstanding work. And that was really the main difference when Drake went on that huge run to close the first half because it was just turnover, pass, pass, three. Turnover, pass, pass, layup. And we've talked about it so much with Adam Wright and Kevin Overton. They thrive in the transition game and Drake was clicking. I thought Connor was doing a great job of going downhill and moving the ball. And when you take a step back, 17 threes for the Bulldogs, a very clean night, really not a lot of things to nitpick other than Brody getting into very unnecessary foul trouble. But 23 points for Kevin Overton, 22 for Tucker, 12 for Adam Wright, 10 for Connor. Brody still seven points, eight rebounds, uh, despite only playing 14 minutes. So that's my best shot. I mean, I hope I gave you an interesting piece of information that you hadn't noticed. Yeah, I hadn't noticed we scored a lot that game. So I'm glad you pointed out the minutia. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, Drake's offense was insanely efficient in this one. Shot 56% from three, 60% from the field overall. And like you pointed out, they did a terrible job of stopping Connor from getting going downhill. Like this game stood out to me by far as some of the most success we've seen from him in a while in terms of just being able to drop his head and sprint towards the basket with no resistance. Like once he was beating his guy off the initial dribble, there was nobody there play help D on him. There was no rim protection. And I think Drake in the end just really matches up well with Murray State with the kind of offense that we run, with the personnel that we have. We talked about this before the game. They don't really have a true big man. They have a lot of athletic wingman style guards. And the way that you saw Coach DeVries just sort of methodically work through them from an offensive standpoint was a blast to watch. Yeah, Drake was really patient at kind of picking their spots and I know I've, I've talked about this before, but Kevin Overton and Adam Wright, they both do a really good job of relocating and finding the soft gaps on the defensive side. And there are so many drives where Tucker would drive it, Connor would drive it, and Overton and Adam Wright were just right there where you needed them to be for that outlet pass or that kick out, I should say, and then open three. Uh, I think if you're a Murray State fan, you're probably thinking, oh my God, they shot the lights out. You know, most threes they've hit all season at 17. Like it just wasn't our night. But honestly, most of them were wide open. Like Drake could have hit easily 20, 22 threes. And like, that's not an exaggeration. And they, they were just open shots. And that was just Drake doing a good job of driving it. So sometimes you do have a night where you're like, oh my God, they just completely shot out of their mind. But I really don't think that was that. That was just really good execution and and guys who were open that should hit should make their threes they were hitting them and in a game that featured offense shout out to kevin overton rob perry is a damn good player and he held them 
to two points on one of six shooting. And his only bucket was with like four minutes left in the game. So, I mean, if you want to talk about just completely shutting down a player, KO, he's he's good, man. And that's another reason why I think we match up well against Murray State, because I think that's a tough matchup for Rob Perry. And the rest of their guys, you know, we talked about Quincy Anderson and Jacoby Wood. They had good games. They shot it well, but I don't think they have the firepower, you know, to obviously to put up 90 points and, and try to win against Drake. Yeah, that's an incredible defensive effort, holding Perry, who is definitely one of their leaders to two points. Incredible defense. Um, he averages 12 points a game. And so to hold him 10 points below his season average while scoring 23 on the other end, shout out to KO on that. There's a reason he was this week's NBC freshman of the week and why the Drake basketball podcast has already awarded him our NBC freshman of the year. So we're calling the race. (laughs) It's it's over. It's over. The runner up was Colby Garland. Maybe if uh, Bradley's Damian Birch could see the floor a little bit more, uh, it would have been a tighter race. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Eduardo, Eduardo. (laughs) Brian Wardle said his strength coach didn't feel comfortable putting Birch on the floor in the second half. So, Uh, But we digress. In case you missed uh, what Eduardo and I are alluding to, Bradley and you and I played. They essentially just rode the starters the entire second half and didn't play star freshman uh, Demarion Birch. And after the game, Wordle essentially threw both the players and coaching staff under the bus by saying that the younger players just weren't ready for this. Said everybody on the staff agreed with it. So both passing the decision on to the rest of his coaching staff and saying that his player wasn't good enough. So do not be surprised if you see Mr. Birch in the transfer portal after this season. Yeah, and and thank you for saying it's Demarion. I think I called him Damian. He's a, he's good, man. Like he's a good player. I was really impressed with him on that first Drake Bradley uh, matchup. But I feel like talking about you and I and Bradley is probably a good segue to talk about the current standings of the MVC because there was a lot of movement this past week. Yeah, man. Uh, so in case you missed it, your Drake Bulldogs are now back atop the valley in a tie for first with Indiana State at 13 and three. Sitting solidly in third is Bradley at 10 and six. There's then a three-way tie for fourth that coveted four spot and the bye that comes with it in Arch Madness with Southern Illinois, Belmont, and Northern Iowa. Below them in the lone, I guess, what would that be? Seventh spot? Yeah, seventh, technically, you're right. Yeah, it's it's tough with the ties, but Murray State's at eight and eight, followed by Missouri State at seven and nine, who is tied with Illinois State, the same record. Uh, the bottom three are the usual suspects: Evansville six and ten, UIC at three and thirteen, and the Valparaiso Beacons at two and fourteen. Yeah, big week for Drake. Obviously, when the week started, Indiana State had a two-game lead on the regular season title. Uh, And now we're tied. I think, you know, I I watched a lot of the Indiana State Southern Illinois game and, you know, it's a long season in the Valley and Indiana State has been playing uh, just very starter heavy uh, lineups, looked a little tired, uh, looked like they were chucking threes a little bit. And I also thought teams are kind of figuring out sometimes you're just better off letting Robbie cook in the post and 
and not overreacting uh, to his passing and his three-point ability and just kind of force him to score in the post. And that's kind of what Southern Illinois did in the second half. And they they pulled out a big win, you know, to propel them to fourth in the standings and obviously to open a window for Drake to claim a share of the regular season title. Four games left, Tucker. I think when you look at who Indiana State is playing, I'm not... I don't think they're going to go into a, a huge tailspin. You know, their their strength of schedule the rest of the way is pretty easy. I expect them to win their last four games. So what that means for Drake is if they want a share of the regular season title, they need to win out. And even if that happens, that still probably means Drake is number two seed uh, come NBC time. Yeah, so if you haven't taken a look at Indiana State's remaining four games yet, they are at Valpo, at home against UIC, at Evansville, and at home against Murray State. So those are four games you would expect the former number 23 team in the nation to win. I would say the biggest contest there with the way they're playing is at Evansville. Um, yeah. Because as we saw, the aces are much improved. and I would imagine they'll probably get a pretty good crowd at the Ford Center for that one. And the reason that Indiana State has been so deadly is because they had the inside-outside combo. They had great outside shooting paired with a great passing big. And lately, as you said, likely partially due to exhaustion, only playing six players, essentially, uh, the outside shooting portion of their offense has fallen off. Uh, star guard Isaiah Swope, who averaged 17 points a game going into their contest with Southern Illinois, scored only six points going two for 10 from the field. So a lot of those shots that were dropping earlier in the season are now coming up short, especially from distance. And I also do think, like you said, teams are figuring out how to guard them a little bit better in terms of sacrificing some of those inside shots, but staying with the outside shooters. So It'll be interesting to see what happens. This is a team that hadn't really experienced this kind of adversity. They had Jason Kent drop out of the lineup with a concussion, which essentially gave them five guys who had experienced regular minutes this season. And right. Kent is sort of a do-it-all guy for them, too. I mean, he's one of their best defenders, best rebounder, and just sort of a rangy do-it-all every guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the fact that they're just a little bit more more shallow – you know, the Jason Kent loss was big and 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 he'll be back and, and they'll be in a better swing of things. Uh, I think, like I said, I mean, like Robbie had a monster game against Southern Illinois, scored 30 plus and, you know, they still lost. And, and that's where it's fine if Robbie's beating you with layups, just as long as it doesn't mean Swope's getting four wide open threes or Julian Larry or whoever. Um, mm-hmm. So and to your point, they haven't had to deal with it. And, and, you know, for Drake, you know, it's probably year three or year four of every time teams play Drake, you know, we're, we're being picked to finish first, second or or whatever over the past four years. So people want to knock you off. And, and now Indiana state definitely having a great season and getting ranked. It's like the Valley was chomping at the bit to knock them off their number one slot. And it, it was very surprising the way they competed against Illinois state. A completely weird game uh, to get outplayed like that with a team missing several starters. 
So that's the one loss you can't have. Like you go on the road and you lose to Southern Illinois, and after a great comeback by them, hey, you know that happens in the valley in a valley season. But losing at home to Illinois State, that's the one that that kind of kills you. But but like I said, I mean they're still in position to still at the very least win a share of the regular season title. And I think from from Drake's standpoint or from my standpoint, I, I would love to see. Drake win the regular season title because it's cool, but it doesn't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things. It's probably more important that they win out uh, so that their at-large birth hopes get more improved. Yeah, and Drake, believe it or not, more and more bracketologists are starting to come around. We're so back. We're back. We we told you last episode, the Drake at-large hopes are alive and... It's true. We're up to 46 in the net. I uh, received a vote in today's AP Top 25, and I've seen several projections that have Drake firmly on the bubble, sort of moving back and forth between that last four in and first four out area. Granted, that does mean that we would have to win out in the regular season, and if we were to lose, we'd probably have to lose in the championship game to Indiana State or Bradley, but it's a hope. And Eduardo, I also do just want to say, because I think this is my take as well as yours. The regular season title, we've talked about this in the past because uh, there's been some disagreement as to which is more important, the regular season title or the Arch Madness tournament title. I personally will take the Arch Madness tournament title 10 times out of 10. Well, yeah, because we've been a a one-bid league traditionally over the past you know, decade or so. If we were in the Big 12, I would say, sure, the regular season title is more important, but in life in the Valley, it doesn't mean anything. You know, you can hang a banner, but you don't get, it doesn't mean you get to play uh, in the NCAA tournament necessarily. So it's just logical. You want to win that conference tournament so that you're guaranteed a spot in the NCAA tournament. So I, for Drake, like I said, hopefully it gives them extra motivation these last four games because the hopes are there. I mean, if they can mm-hmm. win out, if they if we can at least make it to Sunday, I think we'd be in great position to no matter what we're in. Uh, you still want to win that game because we know how much uh, how much the NCAA tournament likes to screw over uh, good mid-majors. But there is a hope. And, you know, two weeks ago, it didn't look like there was going to be any hope of that at-large berth. And mentally, even if we do win the regular season, I just don't want to see the letdown because you saw Bradley's team last year won that final regular season game with Drake and they climbed aboard their uh, aircraft carrier, hung the mission accomplished banner and tried to ride off into the sunset. And they ended up getting boat raced in the championship game as a result. And so I just want to make sure that Drake keeps its focus very firmly on the actual goal and that is cutting down the nets in St. Louis. That's what it has to be, because you have to win it. Like, your at-large berth is your backup. That's plan B. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. plan B, and you need to have it in your back pocket. But you have to try to win it, man. It's uh, you, can't, you can't leave it to chance. Um, and yeah, Bradley, unfortunately, is kind of the perfect example of the worst way that a good season can end, right? You have a good regular season, you win the regular season title, you make it to MVC Championship Day, and then you just get completely throttled, and now you don't get to play in the NCAA tourney. Yeah, which had to have left a sour taste in their players' mouths during the offseason. 
at least the ones who stayed. Um, but <laughs> anyways, I digress. We should probably get back to our next opponent, which is Belmont. The Bruins are in a three-way tie for that coveted fourth seed, along with Southern Illinois and Northern Iowa, as we mentioned before. So they're going to have motivation out the wazoo to win this one. If you somehow manage to block out the memory of the last meeting between these two teams, IMBU, Drake got boat raced in Nashville to the tune of 87 to 65. And that was without Belmont's starting point guard, Jacoby Gillespie. Drake is going to have to bring a whole different level of intensity to this game in Des Moines. Belmont was to me such an aberration that I am hopeful <laughs> that this is going to be strictly a revenge game for Drake because they got embarrassed in Nashville. So I'm hopeful that Drake will come out super focused, that Brody will come out with revenge on his mind because really that's where Drake completely lost that game. It was Brody just not giving a plus effort on defense, trying to step out to Malik Dia. I get it. He has the the weirdest three-point shot that you might see. But he had 32 points in that game, Tucker, cruising to a 22-point win. I don't know. I'm nervous just because we just didn't seem like we knew what we were doing against Belmont. You know, we were completely out of sorts. But I'm hopeful, like I said, because you got to know that Drake wants to put, put this one to bed if I can't believe we got beat that badly in Nashville. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, Malik Dia was the difference maker in game one. He ended up going five for eight from three for 32 points. And when you look at the final score, uh, we lost by 22. So, I mean, you do the math, that's 15 points right there uh, coming from Malik. Uh, If you want to make up the rest of that difference, I mean, they made seven more threes than we did. 21 points in a 22-point game. It it was bad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, and their entire team, it wasn't just Dia, their entire team played well. Uh, I was getting wildly frustrated because they were just raining threes from all over the court. They had walk-ons in, just throwing in hook shots from the sidelines. (laughs) I think they invited a cheerleader onto the court for a while, but it was just an embarrassment last time we played them, and I'm sure our guys are going to remember that. Outside of playing better defense on Dia, I really want to see us attack the hoop because we can't just try to rain threes and hope that we're having an on day. Like we need to take it to them inside. They're one of the worst two point defensive teams in the country. We need to get it to Brody in the post and we need to drive off the wings as well. So I hope to see us uh, pick up a lot more free throws this game because of an increased level of aggressiveness. Cause in the first matchup, we were eight for 13 while they were 19 for 24. So they were the more aggressive team in addition to being the better shooting team. Yeah, if I could give Brody one piece of advice, if I put my Drake assistant coach hat, would it would be he doesn't have to try to shoot on on those post-ups on Dia. I think we need him to be aggressive. I think we need him to attack Dia, but it can also mean a nice skip pass, a nice backdoor cut. And I felt mm-hmm. like in that first game, because Dia was just on fire, he was just trying to score every time he touched the ball and kind of got out of sorts and like you said we just we just weren't doing a good job attacking that was also a game where Adam Wright 
I, even though he finished with 14 points, he was like non-existent for the majority of that game. So same thing. I mean, we just saw him have a really good week, be really aggressive. Uh, I think we need Adam to get going, and I think we need Brody to establish his presence down low. And I think the rest will follow. I think Kevin Overton did a really good job on Kate Tyson. Uh, that was maybe the only bright spot from that Nashville trip. Uh, so I expect that from KO, and you know Tucker will be there you know, doing his thing. So I think it's right. And I think it's uh, Brody as the two guys that can really tip the scales for Drake and which Belmont team is going to show up. That's, that's my other question. Cause they've been very up and down, you know, they lost four in a row there, a stretch where they lost by 30 to Indiana state by 11 to Northern Iowa by 23 at Bradley as of late, they've won four in a row which is good. You know, you would think like, hey, you know, they're, they come, they're coming into it playing really well. They've also played Valpo, UIC, Murray State, and Southern Illinois. Obviously, Southern Illinois being the best win of the four. But what I'm saying is they're inconsistent. You know, they're very up and down. Even that Indiana State game that they lost in Nashville, uh, which was a close game, I think they led by 20 at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, they're... Uh, they can be streaky is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that, that can happen when you're a team that relies on the three as much as they do. Um, but I mean, you talked about Darnell not trying to do too much. I'm of the exact opposite opinion. I think first play of the game, we give it to him at point. He brings the ball up and shoots a pull up three from the logo just to set the tone. I like it. I mean, he should. You know, I, I, is he one one of one? He's a hundred percent three point shooter. Yeah, he has yeah. never missed a three. Oh, that'd be funny to watch. Um, Drake, you know, all kidding aside, I mean, Drake's last four games are a little bit more challenging than Indiana State. You know, obviously Belmont and UNI, and then they'll still have Bradley. So, really important that you kind of start out these last four games, take care of Belmont, and get good mentally, just because. I think it's possible that we'll run into Belmont at some point uh, in the NBC tournament. You don't want that to be a cloud hanging over your head of, hey, man, we don't match up well against these guys. And they just somehow just keep raining threes on us. Yeah. And I'm glad this is Belmont we're playing on Wednesday ahead of the UNI game this coming weekend, just because it's not going to be a trap game because of what happened in Nashville. This is, we're not in danger of overlooking this, looking to get to the end state rivalry. Our guys are going to be 100% focused on making sure that they play their absolute best against the Bruins. So I'm looking forward to that. I agree. I agree. I like having Belmont before having you and I, for sure. Mm -hmm. The game I like less is being at UIC before the home finale against Bradley. Yeah, I know. I know. That has that has trap game written all over it. Well, I'm going to be at both of them. So Humble brag. I'll, be, I'll be screaming <laughs> trap from the beginning of the tip off. That might be confusing. They might start trapping uh, on the backcourt. Be, be very confused by why you keep yelling trap. Just throw off the entire defensive scheme. Um, Anything else you got on Belmont? No. I mean, I think we've covered it. And the fan base, everybody remembers what happened last time. Everybody was frustrated by what happened last time, and I'm sure there will be some nerves going into this game, but I think Drake is really rolling right now, and I look for us to show up big for this one and get that bad taste out of our mouth from the Music City. They are right now. 
just a game out of fourth place or sorry mm-hmm. tied for fourth place so huge game in the standings for them so you know, they need every win uh like you said the coveted fourth seed in the MVC tournament gets you a bye uh, so that's what southern illinois you and i and belmont are are really fighting for these last couple weeks not saying that we don't but if we don't match up well with Belmont, that makes this game even more important because we want to knock them out of those top four standings so that they have to play an extra game if we do end up seeing them in St. Louis. Right. 100%. Yeah. Um, which brings about an interesting question, not even from a, from a Drake standpoint, but just from a NBC basketball fan standpoint, who do you want to see get that fourth spot in St. Louis? Oh, so you're, you're saying me to answer that like I'm happy for the team that gets it, or who do I yeah. want Drake to play? You mean well, just let's do both. First, who do you want to play in? Second, who do you want to get it? For me, I wouldn't mind from a Drake matchup standpoint seeing Southern Illinois. They're a tough team, obviously, but I think we match up well with them. How about you? I agree. I feel like the Belmont loss was. Just because we got throttled so bad, <laughs> I don't want to see Belmont there. I guess I'm with you with Southern Illinois. I just feel like they're scrappy. They're well coached. I'm a huge fan of Xavier Johnson. I, you know, I was messaging you during the Indiana State game, and I think he's the most complete player in the Valley, just offensively and defensively what he brings. Like at one point he was guarding Robbie Avila and baiting him into offensive fouls like he's a really good defender and just really knows how to use his body and offensively obviously he's having a incredible year Um, so I'm a big fan of him specifically Uh, so yeah I think it'd be Southern Illinois in the four spot I think if you're being a little bit more strategic you know who can knock off Indiana State I know they just beat them but i would think that like a belmont is probably more dangerous just because they can catch fire and and knock you off but they they just beat indiana state this past weekend so i guess you can't count out that southern illinois could do it again if we assume that indiana state is the one siege which is i think is pretty likely it will be them yeah belmont reminds me of missouri state in that they can both go off on any given game, but obviously for very different reasons. Like Belmont, they just have so many shooters that when they're all clicking on the same day, they can be virtually impossible to stop. And Missouri State, just because of their individual talent and athleticism. I'm surprised you didn't go off the board and say you would like to see Bradley drop down to number four. <laughs> and, well, that would, have- that would be hilarious. My favorite, honestly, best case scenario for me watching the tournament would be if Indiana State ties with Drake and gets the number one seed due to the net tiebreaker, then I would love to see Bradley drop down to that four spot. A, because it'd be really funny to watch their fans react, and B, because that then pits Indiana State and Bradley against each other for a shot to go to the title game. Because despite how funny they are, Bradley is the third best team in this conference, I think, and pitting them against a tired Indiana State team in the semifinals, I mean, that's a very real possibility that the Sycamores get knocked out there. Yeah, Bradley, the things I don't like about playing Bradley is, like you said, they are the third best team in the conference, uh, so it would be better for them to be on the side of the bracket with Indiana State, but 
also, I mean, they're consistent. You know what they are. They're always going to play the same way. And they also really dislike Drake. So, you know, they have plenty of incentive whenever they play Drake. Of They really want to beat Drake, I, I would say. So, yeah, it'd be better if Bradley drops out. But if they end up in the three seed, hey, that's all right. Well, we can beat Bradley uh, to get to the NBC title game. Yeah, we'll take it. And Eduardo, I do hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I know it's most people's understanding under the NBC rules that if we tie Indiana State, uh, having split the series, that we'll be co-champions. But I actually saw a UNI fan who said, no, only Indiana State gets to be the champion in his book because of the uh, net tiebreaker, despite the fact that the teams would have identical records and split the regular season series. The UNI fan on Twitter says that he would only recognize Indiana State as his Valley <laughs> champion, which I oh, know this is devastating. Yeah, it's devastating. Yeah, no. That's unfortunate. You know, I hadn't, I, I, I wasn't aware of that, so that's really bad news for Drake because obviously that goes there goes out the window our chance of claiming a share of the regular season title. How is Coach DeVries going to break the news to the team? <laughs> You know, I think he'll just use it as motivation. You know, let's rally guys because they took away our share of a regular season title. How is he going to tell them that Panther fan 32 <laughs> says <laughs> the Drake's title share doesn't count? <laughs> That's a made up screen name, by the way. We're not doxing anybody. <laughs> uh, I mean, if we can't claim a regular season title out of that, how the hell did we claim one when we were tied with Loyola? And we lost the or we lost the head to head both times against Loyola. And mm-hmm. we still, by rule, the way the Valley did it back then was if you had the same record in conference, you got a share. And that's that's how it was. Well, and, and that's that's still the rule technically. Yeah. But I think it's only because they haven't heard from this particular UNI fan on how the rules should be. Yeah. Well. As it stands, just so that our fans are not confused, the tiebreaker is it's head-to-head first, correct? And then it's the net. Yeah, so if we're muddy in waters, we apologize. Uh, if Drake and Indiana State do, in fact, finish with an identical record, they will both be crowned Valley champions. The only difference will be then in terms of seeding for Arch Madness and St. Louis. The first tiebreaker is the head-to-head matchup. And since Drake won in Des Moines and Indiana State won in Terre Haute, uh, it would then move on to, I believe it's the second tiebreaker, which is net. And right, right now, Indiana State is, I want to say they're 32 and Drake is 45. Obviously, there's still four games left. Who knows what will happen? I mean, we can't project what will happen in these last four games. But and yeah. if all if both teams win their last four games, you would probably envision Indiana State still being ahead of Drake in the net rankings, which would mean that both teams are regular season champions and Indiana State would be the one seed going into St. Louis. Yeah, I guess the only way that we would have a crazy swing in the net is if we win our next four games by 30 points each, <laughs> which, again... It could happen. Now, is it is it likely to happen? No, it's not. But that would be the only way that you would see a crazy switch because we're assuming Indiana State is going to win the four games too. Which they might not. So maybe Indiana State wins four games by one point each and Drake wins four games by 22 points each. And who knows? Who knows? Uh, but Anything is possible. That's right. 
Um, also, just in like random headlines throughout the news, just wanted to get it out there that uh, Jeff Goodman was officially tweeting today that Drake has 100 wins since 2020, which trails only Houston, Gonzaga, and Kansas. Take a second to think about that. What elite company Drake basketball is in right now? Houston, Gonzaga, and Kansas, and your own Drake Bulldogs, Des Moines hometown team. If you want to help keep that going, it's time to visit dugreatcollective.org. They're doing great work with the team, uh, helping to build this program for the future so that Coach DeBreeze can continue to recruit, retain, and keep this train rolling. You heard it. That's all I got for you, Eduardo. Anything? No, go dogs. And uh, I think, uh, you know, for as a scheduling note, I believe we'll we'll try to to fire up the pod after the Belmont game and, and get you fully prepped for the UNI showdown at Cedar Falls. Let's do it. Go dogs. Go dogs.